This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Our Voice, preserving our stories. Join Caroline Vogels and Jess Morty for an insight into the lives of our community elders. Joy 94.9 gratefully acknowledges the support of the Victorian Government and Public Record Office Victoria for making this project possible. Gary Singer, born in the mid-50s, grew up in Sydney and moved to Melbourne in 1972. Gary's career path has had many interesting twists and turns. Gary is a lawyer, was a property developer and was also the Deputy Lord Mayor of the City of Melbourne from 2004 to 2008. During this time, Gary was instrumental in setting up a Relationships Declaration Register, a first in Victoria. Currently, Gary is the CEO at Sotheby's, the fine art auction house. On the 7th of August 1994, Victoria Police raided the Tasty Nightclub, located in Flinders Street, Melbourne. 463 patrons were detained for seven hours, strip-searched and some cavity-searched in front of other patrons. Subsequently, Gary led a successful class action against Victoria Police, as patrons were awarded over $10 million in damages. Gary is committed to his partner, Geoffrey Smith, and together they are patrons of the arts, including the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, Bungara Dance Company and the production company. Many Joy listeners would also be aware of Gary and Geoffrey's generosity to Joy 94.9. Every year they match donations dollar for dollar during our annual Radiothon. During the 2012 Radiothon they joined breakfast team Anastasia and Beau and in one hour matched donations to the value of $27,000. And in addition, Gary assisted Joy and many other community groups relocate to our current location in City Village in Burke Street, Melbourne. And this show is actually coming to you from the Joy Studio, named the Singer Smith Studio. And my co-host Jess and I warmly welcome Gary Singer to our voice. Welcome. Thank you for, for inviting me on and I'm looking forward to chatting to you for the next hour. Fantastic. Well, I think it will go pretty quickly like it generally does when we try and fit a whole lifetime into one hour. It yeah. does because it's taken me a long time to create it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. So to start at the very the, the beginning, what prompted you to move to Melbourne? Well, my father got a job. My father was professor of psychology at La Trobe University and founded the school out there. And we moved in January of 1972 to Melbourne. I was about 15. And yeah, it was not a move that I welcomed, but uh, nor did my mother. And because I was established in Sydney, I went to school in Sydney, had a, a group of friends in Sydney. Mm. And it was, at 15, you, you don't want to move. And, but we moved and I loved every moment of it. So Jess, you've been a bit of a, a traveller and a mover, so you can probably relate to what it's like for Gary. So Yeah, I think I was a little older once I started moving, but yeah, when you've got your little network and you're just figuring out who you are and then you've got to uproot everything, how did you find starting, I assume you started at a new school? And Yeah, I, st- yeah, I started, when I came down to Melbourne, my, I met, my parents were fa- fantastic and my father's now deceased. I was p- precocious and my father said, well, you can pick which school you go to when you come to Melbourne. So I came down with him before we went to before we moved, 
and I went and interviewed headmasters rather than them interview me to decide which school I would go to. And I picked University High and I went there for two weeks. They had a great headmaster at that time. But by the time the following year, the headmaster had changed. I went there for two weeks. I got sick and I thought, this is ridiculous. We lived in Kew. It's taken me 35 minutes to travel to school. I'll try another school. So I, I then went back to Trinity Grammar where I'd interview the headmaster and that headmaster who I'd interviewed the year before wasn't very nice and he'd left and a great one was there so I I changed and I only had to travel seven eight minutes to school so that's how I changed schools in Melbourne and how was it he also let me skip a year too that was the other thing so we like that I went from in those days third form to fifth form so I didn't do fourth form so I thought I'd get out of school faster yeah but (laughs) how was that for you at that age and to negotiating your your education uh it was good it was good. Well, my father was with me and he was very supportive and encouraged me to be very independent and do. Both my parents encouraged me to do what I wanted to do and uh, they gave, gave us a lot of self-confidence. Yeah, evident, evident as we see today. Yeah. And so so you're 15 and then to try and sort of find some friendships and some new relationships and how, how did that go for you? Yeah, look, I found friends very quickly at school and it was actually quite good because... You know, friendships were changing at that school. A number of boys had come to that school in in Form 5 and we just all got together and made made a great group of friends. So you didn't find it uh, difficult coming as a, basically from a, 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 what, a third former into fifth form and... Well, it was interesting. A friend of mine from Sydney came down to stay with us after we'd moved and I was too shy to ring anyone. He said, Gary... Just if if you want to make friends, you're going to have to take the first initiative, yeah. ring someone. So he 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 forced me to ringing someone. That person then became my best friend, and that went on for many years. So oh, it's just you just got to have someone at times to say just do it because yeah. mm-hmm. everyone else is shy. And if you just just push yourself that little bit, you you get somewhere, you build relationships, and it, it's a great bit of advice that I think takes us through the whole of our life. That yeah. we, um, you know, if we if we just do that little bit of a push, yeah. we we something happens for us. Yeah, yeah, and always extending the hand of friendship first. I think's a, a lovely it's thing. It's a great thing to do. Yeah, so that led into the uni scene. Yes, I went on to university. I went to Monash, did economics and law, uh, and I had a great time. Expanded friendship networks. I still hadn't come out yet. I mean, I still wasn't openly gay. Uh, I certainly, you know, played with boys. I, I mean, I think we all do that. Do that. Well, you probably didn't play with boys. You probably played with Not girls. As much, no, unfortunately, no. I did play with some boys as well. Well, I, that's okay. I played with I played with girls too. Don't worry. So I had a number of relationships with girls, and it wasn't till after university that I I actually came out. So what was that scene for you like in Melbourne when you were so what what about eight mid twenties or so or yeah it was in the mid mid twenties and I was already going into a relationship it doesn't yeah. I mean it's you know been having tortured relationships with other men and you know hidden relationships and this is back in the seventies and things were a bit different in the mid seventies yeah. things were very different I mean people it was it was it was hidden it was much more hidden sexuality and that's why this is one of the reasons that we love joy and mm-hmm. it's really important to us because had joy existed when i was growing up i could have identified with something gay my parents didn't have any gay friends my parents were always very open very liberal but i didn't see gay people and they were quite they were a bit of a fringe at university mm-hmm. and they were you know very effeminate they were that wasn't my my style of being gay mm-hmm. so it 
it was very difficult because you had no role models. And with Joy, you get the whole panoply of people talking on Joy about sexuality. And you you don't have to even do anything to get Joy. Just You just switch on a switch and, and it's, it, there. it's there. So how did you connect with other people in the gay scene? Well, I mean, I was mainly having sex with men who thought they were straight. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and that's that's what I I was doing, and it was only later on that once I really came out that that, that I started getting involved with more gay friends and uh, and you know built a, a network of gay friends, but also had a, a close network of straight friends. So and some of them still today, you know, thirty years later. And you brought a Janis Joplin song along. Yeah, well, Tell that was from this. from my teen years. Yeah, summertime. Tell us yes. about why why it's oh, so well, uh, yeah. Well, what if oh, one of my you know, first girlfriend about 13, 14, you know, she loved that and that was one of the first albums I bought. So it's the first, probably one of the first rock albums I bought. I thought it was really risque with the with the cover. A great record and I loved yeah. it and, yeah, it just meant something to me from the time, from the 70s. I think it'll mean a, a lot of things to a lot of people that will be listening today. So this is our voice on Joy 94.9. You're on Joy 94.9 with my co-host Jess and I'm Caroline and we have Gary Singer in the studio today. And Gary, you were involved in the Tasty Raids and that was happening in about uh, 1994. But before we lead into that, I was just wondering what was the relationship like, if you're aware, with the police and the gay community prior to that raid taking place? Oh, look, I think the gay communities always had problems with the police and the police have always created difficulties for gay people because it's been on the fringe and don't forget it was only in the 70s that it was homosexuality or male homosexuality in Victoria was decriminalised. Uh, Eight, so, 80s even, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, uh, it was under Hamer. It was, oh, okay. I think it was in the 70s. Okay, yeah, I thought it was about 83 or something. I thought it was, so, I thought it was yeah. in the 70s anyway. Anyway, we can check our history. We, yeah, yeah. we, we can do that yeah. Google yeah, that now. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was definitely under Haim, and I thought I thought it was earlier than that. But you could be right. So, look, yes, they always had, you know, the gay community had problems with the police. Uh, Jeff Kennett was in power at the time, and what ha- what happened was we were at the nightclub, and it was a really horrific experience. The police suddenly at about we got there about eleven. You know, Tasty was a a little nightclub down there off just off Flinders Lane. Uh, and the police came in at about 11 o'clock, all the lights came on, and they, they said, this is a raid and we're going to strip search everyone. You have to be quiet, You have to, everyone has to shut up, and there were people, you know, there, there were police roaming through, you know, being violent and aggr- you know, aggressive to patrons, and we all had to put our hands on our heads and or touch the wall if you were get pushed against the walls. And they said, no one's going to get out of here unless, until we strip search you all. And what they, and we didn't know what was happening and it was, a, it was really, really difficult. And they, you can't talk, you can't move, and they were taking a few people out at a time. They didn't anticipate that there would be that number of people, and particularly women. They didn't anticipate that there'd be that number of of. of women there and so they would take you in batches of six or seven the men into the cloakroom and they would strip search you there and what you had to, I mean you had to take off all your clothes you had to bend over and they shone you know a torch up your your rear end uh, looking for drugs and the women were taken and strip searched 
two at a time. There were about 40, 50 women there, or maybe even more, um, in a, a little room, the manager's room. It all took a long time. We didn't get out to about five or six in the morning. I mean, there were people, they were still strip searching people at eight or nine. And it was just the most horrific assault on your dignity. And when we left, you know, we were really angry. And I just said, we've got, we've got to do something about this. And being a lawyer, you know, we're going home and it, you know, we're, just, we're just so shocked. And then I just thought I'll, I rang around and got some barristers and we started doing the whole thing and we got really into it. And we you know, contacted you know, the newspapers, we contacted Joy FM, really got behind it. Joy was fantastic and that was a voice of the community and that led a lot of people to it you know to us so we could we could join people together to take an action but the ramifications for a lot of the people from that nightclub the effect on their lives was horrific there were there were people whose parents didn't know they were gay and there's one kid who got hate mail from his own mum and his family and I mean you just don't think about it today we've moved on so far but it makes made me realise because I spoke to nearly everyone who was there through the course of the litigation that how fragile some people are and how difficult it is to help some some people and it was it was just dreadful and I'm delighted that we were able to take that action and we were were successful. Police denied everything. They had 41 police and they all came in and lied and said the same story and the judge saw right through and it was one of the great occasions where you had more witnesses than the police mm. to say what the version of events were. Can I just interrupt you, Gary? I was aware of you leading this class action against the police, but I wasn't aware that you were actually a patron there on the night and went through the experience. I've done a little bit of research. I've seen some stuff on YouTube about the incident, news reports, etc. But how can you... I'm trying to imagine when I've been out in a nightclub, it's 11 o'clock, you're right into it, the music's pumping, and you're on your, in your own little world with your friends and having a great time. For the lights to go on, for this to happen, what goes through your mind? How could you even process that experience? Well, well you can't. You can't because you just don't know what's happening and you can't talk and you can't communicate and you're having your hands on your head or you're putting your hands against the wall. Sounds terrifying. It's just... It's scary. It's all your worst nightmares come coming at once. So you you can't deal with it. I mean, and that's what a lot of people found. They just couldn't deal with the experience. Plus, it was just, and a lot of people's you know, there were photographs in the paper. There was that one photograph, which is the incredible for, photo on the front page, page of the age, age. Yeah. and just people just you know, it was just very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. And you just didn't you just didn't know, and it's scary. It's scary when police are around screaming at you and you don't know what's happening. So for you to have had your experience being a lawyer, knowing the law, realising that this this is not right, did you find you had a, a good following with, with other people that wanted to take this further or were you leading this well, on I your think own? We were, we were basically leading it and pushing it forward because we had the resources to do something about it. But, it costs you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, to take court cases to court like that. Especially a huge case. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to be well prepared for that. We had a great you know, first patron was Sally Gordon, who's become a great friend of mine, who is a fantastic woman, and she was she had a really tough time of it because she was also because she was the first patron. Uh, who we ran the case for, she was certainly in the media spotlight all mm. the time mm. and, and found things very difficult. 
And it also shows, I think, with your experience that how incapacitated you are just in an event like that. You're not dealing, used to dealing with the police. How also your voice is taken away on the night, let alone somebody, like you're saying, a young man who's not out to his parents and it, it, it must have been an extraordinary well, it is, life-changing it, event. Yeah, yeah, and we you just don't know how to react in that situation. And it's, I mean, I've being a lawyer, I've heard a lot lots of cases where police have exceeded their authority and done terrible things to people, and I just felt I was in a situation I had no control over, and that was scary. And that is always scary when we're in those situations, and it happens to us, you know, hopefully not too often. But that that was certainly a situation where none of the patrons were in were in control, and the police were out of control. And only was it only about a hundred of the patient patrons um, were part of the class action? Look, was it? No, um, we had about three. About, oh, by okay. the end, about three hundred. I would right, thought. That's great. We got we yeah. got a lot of people people through. We it wasn't really a class action. It was we we did a test case. Yeah. And then we reached an agreement with the police that we would on on what we could we could we would recommend to clients, and we settled a large number of cases at that point. And there were a few which really stood out. Uh, their behaviour, you know, they're so, so altered their behaviour. And you know, there's one guy who we were saying that he he was so he'd lost so much self esteem. He went out and started having unsafe sex, mm-hmm. and and he contracted HIV AIDS. It was it was a was a hard case to try and pull it together. It didn't, and we we had to try and do that for some people. But other people's the effect on other people's lives was was very difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. people who's who had there was one girl from Tasmania or one girl or boy I can't remember from Tasmania I'm going back quite a few years yeah, sure. the whole town turned against the parents as well wow. and that's I mean you, you, you just don't even comprehend it mm. at the moment did you feel uh, how did you feel going through the court proceedings did you have a feeling you were going to be successful yes I, did. I, I thought we would be because we had so many uh people able to say that what the police were saying was a whole lot of lies mm. they were saying everyone was happy and every everyone was wanting to be you know agreed to it all what was just nonsense it was absolute complete and utter nonsense yeah and it's it's not often you have 467 witnesses against 41 police yeah and not that we called that many i mean they called they called heaps of police and they all got up and they had a right right a, a wrote story off, and our, our, all ours told their yeah, version the real, version the real, of events. Yeah. And uh, it it was, of course, it was a risk for Sally. Had she lost the case, she would have had to pay the wow. police police's costs, Jeez. which was mm. going to be million was millions of dollars. Mm. Um, but you know, we won, and that was a great a great victory for the community. And did you find that the people that had gone through the the, um, the police taking them to court was that cathartic for them, or was it a sort of relief, or was it harrowing? I, I understand it'd be harrowing going through the stories again, but the actual result of it was that something that I th- I think it was Caroline. I think it was cathartic for a lot of people, and a lot of people felt. I've been a victim all along, and now I'm victorious against the Victorian police. Mm. And I said to lots of people, buy something that reminds you know, buy something with this money or part mm. of the money, which reminds you always of this incident. And look at it now. I know Sally Sally bought Sally Gordon bought a Targ Hoyer watch, oh. and every time she looks at it, she thinks, "Shit, the Victorian police bought this for me." <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was that was something she really wanted. Are you still in touch with any? Yes, yeah? uh, with with Sally. Well, yeah. Jeffrey, my partner, was there. We weren't partners at the mm-hmm. time. We were just friends. Uh, yeah, and a, a large number of other people we're still in touch with. 
Oh, that's fantastic. I'm a little disappointed that I didn't actually know about the story until I started researching for our interview today. And it's been nearly 20 years. It's 18 years mm. since Time goes fast. this has happened. <laughs> Is it something, I just think it's such an important event in the community that just reflects the solidarity, the power of the people and a success story that needs to be recognised. Is it something like Stonewall yeah, that I think is recognised um, to this day? Like, how can we how can we celebrate this? Well, on I, the think, I think we should. I mean, Epson Storm did a documentary, The Tasty Bus Doco. I don't know if you've seen that, mm. but that, that was really very interesting. He did that quite a number of years later, and we gave him access to the transcript for the case and everything. And we spoke to a number of the patrons who were there, and he managed to interview a number of people. So there, a bit of it is recorded in history, and he was at one stage thinking that if he could get it together, that he would make a film of it. Because it, it uh, if you speak to the people... There is lots of elements of humanity mm-hmm. in a story. Mm-hmm. And it is. It was a bit like our stone wall. It, mm. was, it was people in Melbourne and Victoria saying to the police, you can't push me around. You yeah. can't push us around. And that felt really good. And that was you know, backed by Joy. You know, Joy was right behind it. And Joy was fantastic. And that's another reason that we all also love Joy because it, it unites the community. It gets us together. It makes sure we can work and achieve things as a community. Have a voice, a, yeah. s- a single co- voice and a communicative way to get to the well, other. You can, yeah. And you can get in touch with so many other gay people or, yeah. you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, questioning people and get them together and they have, a, and you have an opportunity to talk to them and reach them and they have an opportunity to, to reach you. I still wonder if without this ever happening, what the attitude of the Victoria Police would be like today with our community and for terrible things to happen in order to make yes. for a more positive future. I'm, I'm very grateful for your contribution. Uh, it, it's true, Jess, but things can go backwards very mm. fast. Mm. We saw that in before, before the world war. You know, Germany was the most advanced civilization, you know, one of the most advanced, if not the most culturally, uh, you know, significantly. And look at what happened there. Yeah. And it's very tenuous. We've got to keep on, keep on, top, ke- of keep on top of it. And that's another reason that, I mean, I yeah. keep coming back to joy, but that is another reason that organisations like Joy are so important, being a voice for the community. You're listening to Our Voice with Jess and Caroline and our special guest today is Gary Singer. Our Voice, preserving the stories of our community elders. Joy 94.9. You're on Our Voice with Jess and Caroline and our guest is Gary Singer. And prior to the break, we were talking to Gary about the Tasty Raids and I just wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned, Jess. I think it's not a bad idea if we start working towards the 20-year anniversary to make sure that the... uh, the lessons learned and what you've fought for and yeah. actually lives on. So I think we might lay a few seeds with our yeah. uh, the board at Joy. To Acknowledge uh, these yeah. amazing people, brave people yeah, within it, our community. And it needs to be remembered. And I think, as I said, if you can get some of that vision and there's a, there's a grainy sort of photo that really when the people have their hands up above their heads, it, it did relate to me like something out of a, a war-torn country. So... Uh, the visual aspect is... Um, it's chilling, isn't yeah. it? It is. It is, and it was. And it's important that we don't forget. Because we, if we forget things, it's so... The old saying is, it's so easy, you know, if the good... For, for the evil to triumph, the good must only remain silent. I mean, how often has that mm, been said? Yeah. Mm. And that is so true. And you only have to look at the, the Queensland state government, how uh, we're going back into the 1950s up there and there's some frightening things happening. Exactly. So, uh, 
advances are hard. You know, it's much harder to get advances. It's so easy for them to be contracted and taken away from you and it can happen very quickly very easily and you were talking about uh joy and and uh the voice that it gave at that time can you remember how you first came across joy or oh look we always were aware of joy because it, it as soon as it came on air there was a buzz around and it was on for a couple of hours at, at different different times so whenever it was on you'd, you'd tune in and you'd, you'd listen to it it's it's hard now to think that it wasn't on 24 7 and we had to keep on you know petitioning and writing letters we didn't have emails in those days saying keep joy on air keep joy on air we want it it's important to us it's important to our community and it was the persistence of lots of people who to support the people who were running joy and they were you know incredible people and i'm sure you've interviewed a number of those mm. and you've you've got those stories about how they started joy and how they got a groundswell of the community around them and it was only with the groundswell of the community that Joy managed to stay on air and thrive to where it is today. And with what happened during that time in 1994, was that any reason or any impetus provided for why you decided to run for Deputy Lord Mayor oh, or, or the Melbourne City Council? Oh, look, I, I'd run a number of times yep. and not got, not got elected. I'd always run with John So. I mean, mm-hmm. since he, he was first elected the 91 council, I think from about, I think the next one was about 94, and I think I ran with John in 94. It was certainly, yeah, it was certainly part of what makes me the person I am today is is my look I've got great concern about people and when I practiced a lawyer we acted for little people against the forces of darkness and evil and we always took on very difficult causes we did a lot of things other lawyers don't like doing I did a lot of medical negligence a lot of legal negligence a lot of a lot of actions that we believed in uh, which were, were very difficult and we always acted for people who couldn't afford us and uh, we would only, you know, you'd only get paid if if you were successful, mm. and that's a very, you've got to be very tough to do that, and it 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 is a difficult way to practice law. Very generous too, I imagine. Well, it is, but if if you're doing something, you want to make sure you're always giving back into the community, and this is one of the issues I wanted to talk about. Is I think it's really important that we always give back to all communities. It's it's one thing to strive and make money, and it's great, and it, makes your life easier and, and happier but you actually what really makes makes you happy is is giving back you know whether you're giving back money whether you're giving your time whatever but that really is the greatest reward in life so when you're at the council you uh, were instrumental in bringing on and setting up the relationship declaration register so yeah, yes well that was really interesting and that was I, I mean, I had a bit of a spot, I mean, spotlight on my personal life and everything because I, I was gay and I was actually very concerned about bringing in a relationship register that would get ridiculed and certainly had a lot of difficulty with, you know, the Herald Sun making my life a bit miserable mm-hmm. um, or trying to. But mm-hmm. So you just go ignore it. But we brought, you know, I brought that in. It was difficult getting all the support for it, but I got the numbers up and I got it in. And... It didn't create as big a fuss as I thought it was going to be, and we got it in smoothly. Uh, we had joy again; got behind it. We had was a I can't remember over 1,300 people coming in to support it and speak about it, and it was it was it was very interesting because one of the councillors who was against it, when he heard what it meant to people as they came to speak to the committee, he suddenly changed his mind. He said, mm. "Look." I understand what this is about. I understand now why this is important to a community and to people. If you cannot have your relationship 
you know, recognised. I now understand it is important. So it was it was it was a great thing to do because I think it, it led on to the state government eventually doing a relationships register. It isn't. It's a little bit, but it's not far enough. And as we know, we've got the great marriage debate on, and there are people really pushing that forward. And I think that sort of start, you know, that started the momentum, and people thinking, well, hang on a minute, we can move forward. I mean, the council can't do very much. It doesn't have many powers. All it could do was recognise relationships. Mm. And then a number of other councils, I think, through Victoria, after we'd recognised, and the city of Melbourne did it too. But it was very, it was very interesting. One of was a great. There was a lovely couple who came in, and they'd been together. They'd met on the last day of the war, which must have been sixty years earlier. I just over sixty years earlier. They met in the picture theatre or a theatre, and they'd been together for all that period of time. And they said, "No level of government has ever been prepared to rec- recognise our relationship." That's why we've come in when we registered our relationship. Oh, fantastic. I am assuming at the time of this going through with the register, were you, I know you've been friends with Jeffrey for a very long time. Were you in a relationship? Yes, yes, yeah. We've been friends for since 1990. We've been in a relationship since about 2000 and, the end of 2004 when I first got into council. So it would have been a, a whirlwind of a time, yeah. a new relationship starting and council yeah. work and oh, something would, new. Yeah. And oh, yeah, it was. It's, I mean, there's always lots of challenges in every relationship, aren't there? I mean, and yeah, and it's a way you, you interact together and the way you work together makes your relationship successful or less successful. That's right. You did uh, just briefly allude to the um, the um, some of the comments made by the Herald Sun, mm. but um, and you have got broad shoulders to be able to you know you sort of say oh you know but you turned an eye to that but it must have been very difficult at the time you know you're starting a, a, a relationship you're on the council and then you hear uh, quite a lot of neg- negative comments that are targeting you personally. Um, there's an old saying, Caroline, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you've just got to, you've got to, you've got to believe in yourself and just keep on going. And really, what's in the newspapers? Tomorrow's fish and chips. Yes. And it's, it's, it's true. And we're, yeah. we're seeing, we're seeing that the media has been really intrusive. We've got the Leveson Inquiry in England. We're seeing a demise and we're watching a demise and of newspapers and yeah. it's newspapers have driven a lot of things in this community and they something's coming back to them at the moment but really you know if you're in a loving committed relationship and you've got the support of your partner you can do anything you want and the support of your parents you know mm. if you've got people around you it's much easier i've been blessed you know great parents great great partner so I've got a lot of love and support behind me to make sure that I can deal with any adversity. And it's very, it, and without that, I think it'd be much harder. And, and a lot of people aren't as lucky as or fortunate as I am. Can I just touch briefly on some of something that's close to my heart with your involvement with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, Bangara Dance Company and the production company, all of these arts, creative outlets. Um, is this a, it's obviously a passion that you and I assume yes. Jeffrey oh, share. Yeah, we do. Yeah, you, we do. Yeah. Do you have any personal involvement in, in the arts yourselves or... No, I don't don't sing. I don't dance. Not like you, Jess. I can't. I'm not a performer, and I spare anyone spare anyone that. I can't sing in, in key. I can't dance. I'm uncoordinated when I dance, but I love it. You know, we also support the opera. We sort of support the ballet. We are very keen on supporting, you know, both the visual and the performing arts because, 
you know, we are, we love love all those things and that we believe it's very important. Because the other thing is governments are going to give less and less money to organisations, whether it's arts or community organisations. And what we need to do as individuals is give money or time or support to organisations because otherwise they will cease to exist. And uh, that's what we need to do. In the old days, the church took a tithe from everyone, but and that was a certain percentage. But what we need to do is give a percentage of our time or our, our money to organisations and things we believe in, whether it's a local football club, whether it's Joy FM, whether it's a bo- opera, the ballet, human rights. I mean, the, there's so much needs to be done mm-hmm. for human rights in this world. I mean, you look at the Middle East. I mean, they stone women to death who are raped. I mean, mm-hmm. how incomprehensible is that? I mean, how can I, I can't even comprehend that. I can't comprehend that you'd have a court that would allow you to chop up a, ha- a thief's hands. I mean, I just, I have... I can't believe it. Mm. I can't believe that what some people have to go through in, the, in, in, in their lives. Yeah, we're certainly blessed here. But on a lighter moment, we might go to a song and you've brought in um, one of the favourites from the uh, Kylie on a night like this. Yeah, I love Kylie. <laughs> She's one. She's wonderful. Doesn't doesn't every gay man <laughs> and, and women uh, gay women too? We all love Kylie, and she's been a great inspiration and support to the community as well. Joy. Joy. 94.9. You're listening to our voice on Joy 94.9 with Caroline and Jess and Gary Singer has joined us today. Gary, this is our memorabilia section. So would you be able to share? Oh, this, is an embar- this is an embarrassing story. This- love it. Oh, love, we love, love embarrassing em- stories. Love, love embarrassing stories. I won't, yeah, Jeffrey will probably kill me because I'm telling it. We even uh, love that more. <laughs> anyway, when I was, we, we travelled overseas when I was... 13, 14, my father worked, we worked in New York and then we were travelling back from uh, New York. We met my grandparents in London in 1970 and that was at the heyday or a bit over, just past the heyday of Carnaby Street. And my grandfather said to me, I'm giving you five pounds to buy something you'll always remember. I want you to buy something in Carnaby Street. So he gave me five pounds, which is a lot of money in, the, in 1970. Five pounds in London was a lot of money. And I wanted a shirt. So... I went up and down Carnaby Street looking at shirts and it was all sort of touristy and everything sort of manufactured and looked the same and I didn't like it. And I thought, then I found just off Carnaby Street, a little shop called the Carnaby Cavern. They had all these one-off shirts and I saw this red satin shirt with the big, you know, Hamlet collars and the puffed up shoulders and it didn't really fit, but I thought it was (laughs) fabulous and I, I tried it on I thought, I thought, oh, oh, this is so great. It is so Carnaby Street. It's just everything of the time. So I bought it and I still have it. Fantastic. (laughs) I don't wear it. I was going (laughs) to ask. (laughs) So uh, to connect with our voice, you can go to joy.org.au and uh, we'll be loading a picture in a little while of, um, of Gary and his lovely red shirt that you'll see on our social media page. So, um, also, Gary, you're um, a CEO of Sotheby's. Yes. You've, uh, that's uh, another huge change in direction from uh, what you'd done previously. How did you get involved in that? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we actually own and operate it. It's the only place in the world where Sotheby's have sold off their 
core business, which is the auction house, and Jeffrey, who is a world expert on Australian art, uh, was working there, and then I got involved, and then eventually bought out the company. Uh, and we have a couple. We've got a back. One of our partners is from New, Ze- New Zealand Public Company, and another is a lovely gentleman in Sydney. Uh, but it's basically now a family business, and we run it, and we love it. It is. I mean, most most businesses and things you do are the same. It's just the product. The product changes, and we're very lucky. We're in an area we're very passionate about, and I'm very passionate about art. We're passionate about jewellery and furniture and and so on. So it's a great a great mix and a great fit for us, uh, and it's great to be working with your partner. And we have a, gr- a lot of fun and a lot of time. And it's not always easy to work with your partner, but if you if you can get on well, and it's it's great to be spending all your time together and working on projects together and running your own business is certainly one of those time consuming i can imagine but rewarding at the same time it, it is it is jess and it's something you really you know because you end up spend, spending a lot more time talking about your work than if you worked in different things but mm. then if it's your own business you feel very differently about mm. it and and you don't mind because you have great ideas and you you spar off each other and you think oh gee what what about if we do this or we should make this improvement or whatever so it's it's a great 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 opportunity so i'm a huge fan of tim wanacott on bargain hunt is it like that <laughs> in the auction no, house <laughs> no well well at every, at every auction there are things that go incredibly well and things that you can buy inexpensively and you can do very well mm. you it's just it's it's the luck of the draw that it's, it's Great, great opportunities. I mean, we do have stories where someone find we find something in someone's garage. Grandma's vase. Grandma's vase. It suddenly turns out we had one last year. We had grandma's vase last year. We thought it was a nice, nice vase. You know, fifteen, twenty thousand went for half a million. Wow. I mean, that's that's an. I mean, we don't get many of those stories, but. Someone, yeah, someone did very, did very well. It's got to it be an adrenaline rush when you're watching that yeah. sort of thing happening. Oh, it is. And you think, my God, we had, yeah, we had, you know, probably once or twice a year we'd have something which suddenly flies mm. ridiculously high. But I love to see a great auctioneer. You know, it's a real it's talent. A, it is a real skill. And I just skill. love to see I'm, that. I'm yeah. learning it. I'm yeah. doing it a bit more. And it's great fun. It's great yeah. I mean, charity auction. I love doing charity auctions. They're easy. They're much easier than the the real McCoy in the in the auction room. If if the auction's going well, it's easy. It's when it's going, it's tough. You have and to work, and yeah. you've got to work it. And there's not much yeah. interest. Mm. That's when you can really see a great auction in, mm. and that that's a real a real skill. And I'm I'm working on it, and I want to go. Yeah, to Sotheby's in London and learn more about it because they have auctioneers school and there. And so. I think it would be more difficult with some of the stony-faced people you get, and also the phone bidders and. Well, the f- well, uh, yeah, it is. You can't get the, you know, there's some of them. You, you can't see the emotion of how much they really want to buy that oh, item. But, or, but the phone, the phone bidders, at least someone. I mean, I love doing the phone bidding because yeah. when I'm, we're not auctioneering we're also on the phones because a lot of our business is done on the telephone so you're chatting to people and they they get it you can you can feel the rush down the other end of the phone and then you you sort of convey that into the room if you if you're going with people because it's you're their eyes and ears in the room and Mm. it's great i mean if you can't it's great to be in the room when an auction's on but if you can't be the second best thing is to be on the telephone if you want something because you you get a bit of the feeling and we our auctions are also live on the internet now. Wow. Oh wow! So um, yeah, you can you can participate in many ways. You can bid on the internet, but it's more fun, I think, bidding on the telephone. What I found last this last time is a lot of people 
uh, watch it on the internet and they're bidding on the phone at the same time. Yeah. So watching. when somebody buys a vase for a half a million dollars, mm. well, they obviously don't give it to me to carry out. But what sort of things do you put in place to to take care of something uh, well, like it, that? Well, it, it actually went overseas, so wow. it gets packed up and yeah. taken and shipped overseas. Uh, we sell things for for a lot of money. That's our our business. They they get we treat them treat them with white gloves and yeah. and due care, due care and responsibility because you don't want to drop a half a million dollar vase. Uh, it'd be ugly. It'd be very ugly. I, I can't imagine if. What, what else you could be wanting to do in your life, Gary, but uh, do you have any other dreams for the future or oh, any always, other fingers always and pies? Dre- always dreams. I don't know yet, but thing, look, things happen in life, Jess. Doors, op- you know, doors are put before you and you can either open them and go through them or you can tr- not go through them. And that, that's what happens. You don't know what's... I mean, life's full of opportunities and you've got to be open to them. Mm. I mean, I was open to the situation becoming Deputy Lord Mayor. You, you just don't know what someone's going to say to you, what the opportunity is. I didn't know I was going to be an auctioneer. I didn't know, I mean, lots of things I've done. I I don't didn't know I was going to do them until something happens. And I think that's, that's true of everyone's life. And you've just got to be open, open. Don't have a closed mind. I don't know what it will be, Jess, but it'll be something exciting. But I think having the, the faith in yourself that you've obviously had from a very young age mm, and a wonderful support network, which you've been very lucky to have. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, wow, the world, it really is your oyster, isn't it? It, it is. And you've got, to, you've got to appreciate that. And I think the other thing is, as I was saying before, you've got to give back to communities and give to, because there's, there's a lot of wrong in the world. And that's something that both Jeffrey and I talk about. You know, when we go, what are we going to do with what we have left? We will leave it to social change because it is so important. We believe that that there are things that have to happen in the community, you know, whether it's a gay and lesbian but communities, but all communities, yep. and there's so much more that you can do uh, and give give support to or whatever. And that's something which is an obligation that we have and we've certainly had great, you know, today has been a great life and I hope it always continues to be but it may not I mean misfortune can strike you down very quickly very easily you can have no control over it you know blessed with good health but that can change Mm -hmm. anything can happen to you so you were saying that you're a supporter of the arts and you love the opera so our final song for uh, today will be something from La Traviata. I love La Traviata. It's my favourite opera. I've always loved it. And it's probably the, the first opera I really, really enjoyed. Hi, this is Gordon Wilson. Our community, our stories, our voice. Joy 94.9. You're on Our Voice with Jess, Caroline, and our special guest is Gary Singer. And Gary, you're in the hot seat for our quickfire questions. Oh, uh- Treading these. <laughs> oh, you'll be right. We we go easy on our guests. Who is your favourite GLBTI icon? That's a hard question. I, I, I'm probably Carly. I think I think Carly's probably my favourite. And if you could invite three people to dinner, either living or past, who would they oh, be? Gosh, oh, that's that's really difficult. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to pass on it and come back to it because sure. it might take me. If you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you like to be? Oh, in here. <laughs> here in the Joy Studio. We like that answer. We haven't had that before. And name one thing on your bucket list. Name one thing on my bucket list. Gosh, I think I'd do everything I want to do. I mean, I'd, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to help help more and be able to be more generous in the community. That's one of the things I would really like to do. That means more to me than probably a lot of other things. 
And if you could go back to any decade, which decade do you think you would like to enjoy? Oh, this one. I don't, I don't think about the past was better. I mean, I think today is a great time and, t- you know, t- I mean, I'd, I'd love to have some, some youth over again, but gee, you, you can't have it. So you, you've got to enjoy the decade you're in. Living in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> if there was one word that you could use to describe your life, what would it be? I know which word I would use, but what would you use? Uh, very fortunate. I'd say very generous. I was yeah. on the generous mm-hmm. one too. Mm. No, it's fortunate. And if there is any job you'd like to do for a day, what that what would that be? Well, I'd like doing my own job. Mm. <laughs> I'm satisfied and content, and I love doing my own job. I love going to work every day. Um, what else? I mean, I've got a wonderful partner who I work with, so gee, I wouldn't want to do anything else. What's your favourite hobby? My favourite hobby is oh, we're very passionate about collecting art mm. uh, we love collecting art and that is a great shared passion mm. uh, what's been the best experience of your life um, look my parents and my partner I mean the greatest the greatest things in my life I mean uh, my father got ill died about three years ago but he was a wonderful wonderful man um, and my mother's still alive and she's unbelievably great uh, just have, having having that opportunity to have Two great parents and a great partner, gee. Mm. And if same-sex marriage was legal, would you and Jeffrey get married? Definitely. Mm. Oh, we, we will. We will. Sorry, we will when it is legalised in Australia. We're waiting. I, I don't believe in going anywhere else in the world. We'll wait till we can do it in Australia and probably in Melbourne. Lovely. So we're, we're, we're waiting for that. We can wait. We're patient people. And what's your star sign? What's my star sign? Um, Leo. Okay, I've got the people. I'd like to have dinner with my parents and my partner would be the three people. That's I would love, love, yeah. you know, love, love to have dinner with because that's the most important to me. You're listening to Our Voice with my co-host Jess and uh, I've been Caroline and our special guest has been Gary Singer and Gary has shared some really uh, involved areas of his life including uh, being involved in the Tasty Raids, the uh, Melbourne City Council and being a, a generous supporter of Joy and we'd just like to thank you on uh, everyone's behalf of Joy and I, I just wanted to mention that um, a colleague of mine had recently come to Melbourne uh, only a couple of months before we did Radiothon and he tuned in on the morning that you were on the radio and uh, I saw him at work that morning and he said Caroline I can't believe the generosity of some people and the generosity of spirit and he said he was in tears driving to work just listening to that show so I think that's the effect you have on a lot of us and we do appreciate it and um, to also uh, Jeffrey of course as well and we thank you for joining us. Okay, thanks Jess. Thanks Caroline. You have been listening to Our Voice on Joy 94.9. For more information head to joy.org.au to connect with Our Voice online. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.